July 27th, 2022. Uh, let's continue where we left off last time, at the bottom of Daf Bet Amud Bet, four lines up, the second word on the line. says the Gemara Amar Mor, and the Gemara precedes with those words, it means we're going back to something that was stated earlier in the Midrash. Generally speaking, it means one of the Emoraim spoke up and recited a Beraita, and then we return back to quote unquote the master's words in that Beraita, and we dissect them further. Says the Gemara Amar Mor Amar le Rabbi Yehuda v'halo kohanim mi'ba'od yom hem toblim. If you recall, there was this dialogue between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda cited in that last Beraita on this Amud, wherein Rabbi Meir said that the first time for Kiryat Shema Shel Arbit was at the time that the Kohanim are tovlim, at the time that they're immersing themselves in the mikveh. The question in turn of Rabbi Huda to Rabbi Meir is, well, if it's at that time period, they are immersing themselves before it's night. And Pasuk, of course, says, You say, at the time that you go to sleep, you're not going to sleep when it's still daylight. Shapir ka'amar le Rabbi Huda Rabbi Meir. Says the Gemara Shapir, Shapir means good. He's saying, well... In other words, what sort of response could Rabbi Meir have? Uh, it doesn't make sense. It's hard for us to fathom how Rabbi Meir could maintain that the first time for Kiryat Shema Shel Arbit is literally during the time of Yom, meaning before it's yet dark outside. Rabbi Meir, in truth, was saying as follows. It's right before the sunset. Yeah, that's our assumption. What do we call that time? It's daytime still. It's, uh, they're going right before the sunset, which, in, which in, we call them which in turn is why Rabbi Yehuda is really questioning Rabbi Meir. This is how Rabbi Meir would have responded to Rabbi Yehuda. Of course, we don't have this in the Beraita, but we're defending for Rabbi Meir. Misavarta, did you think, do you believe, De'ana, that I, Aben Hashem Ashot, Didach Ka'amina? Did you think that I was referring to, that I was talking about, Didach, your Ben Hashem Ashot? Ana, I, Aben Hashem Ashot, Dirbiose Ka'amina. I'm really talking about the Ben Hashem Ashot of... Rabbi Yoseh, uh, lots of words and understandings that we're not fully clear about yet. Period. Says the Gemara, citing from another Beraita, the statement of Rabbi Yoseh, with regards to defining this time period of Ben Hashem Ashot, which means to say as follows, that the juncture, the time during which the Kohanim would immerse themselves in the Mikveh, is before Ben Hashem Ashot. Now those words, in between the suns, or in between the uh, heavenly bodies, is hard to define. Rabbi Huda's opinion, as Rashi cites from elsewhere, is that it's Mahalach Hatsimil Lifne Seta Kochavim. It's a time period long before Seta Kochavim, before nightfall. Well, according to that interpretation, it means Ben Hashem Ashot, we would equate with around the time period of Shkiat Hama, of the sunset. We would say that's when Ben Hashem Ashot around then sets in. And in turn, if you're saying that the Kohanim are going before Ben Hashem Ashot, it means, as Rabbi Huda was questioning Rabbi Meir, 
it means that I don't understand. They seem to be saying Kiryat Shema during the daytime. Do you understand? Alternatively, says Rabbi Meir, I was talking about and I maintain the opinion of Rabbi Yoseh with regards to Ben Hashem Ashot. Rabbi Yoseh's definition, again, of that enigmatic, that hard to understand, Ben Hashem Ashot in between sons, is later in the hours of the day and night. It is keheref ayin. It's with the flittering of the eye, which means to say it happens very quickly. Zeyosev zenichnas, quote unquote, the sun goes fully in, and the moon comes entirely comes out. That's ben Hashemashot, which is a later juncture in the day and, t- and, and night time period. So as a result, the defense of Rabbi Meir is I was talking about a different qualification and determination of time than you were working with. My structure is that of Rabbi Yoseh. Rabbi Yoseh's definition of Ben Hashem Ashot is later in the day and night structure. Yours, Rabbi Yudah, is earlier. As a result, Rabbi Yudah, your question makes sense if I was talking about your Ben Hashem Ashot, in which case that the Kohanim are going during the daytime. According to my definition, following that of Rabbi Yoseh, it's later, and as a result, your question is not valid. Do we understand the suggestion, the response here of Rabbi Meir, the Gemara for Rabbi Meir to Rabbi Yehuda? So we just like an example, let's say sunset is 8 o'clock, and I eat. So he's saying... He's saying it's later on, uh, you know, determine it, it depends on what time of the year it is and so right, forth, right. but it's later on. Whereas, whereas, well, three stars is going to be our seta kochavim. We're talking about when's ben Hashem Ashot. So our assumption throughout, because that's the, that's the halacha, the way we generally work, is in between shkia and seta kochavim, sunset and nightfall, we assume that time period is what we call ben Hashem Ashot. According to Rabbi Yoseh, it's not so. According to Rabbi Yoseh, it's keherifayin. It's later than yeah. that. It's keherifayin. It's something that happens in a split second, Ben Hashem Ashot. It's not the whole time period. It's a late part of the time period. That's the Ben Hashem Ashot, which means that if the Kohanim were to immerse themselves before Ben Hashem Ashot, they're doing it later than sunset, in which case I have no problem, quote-unquote, with arguing that that's what fits in the, the pasuk of Bishoch Bechav Komecha. Well, two things in responding to that. Synagogues and, uh, and, and congregations who pray a late mincha is for one of two reasons. Either they're going against halacha in terms of the normative sense, or alternatively, they're, they're going according to the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam, or another one of the opinions who determines. That's not really going to use uh, the Rabbi calculation, but it is going to redefine, you know, in other words, how much time it is until Seta Kochavim. All right, says the Gemara, question? Is this the only time we see an example of um, Ben Hashem Ashot being that quick of a time? I've always remembered learning that it's like a time in between. You've learned, right? You've you've learned the that's right. You've learned these the standard halacha lemaaseh. When you go through it, and the Gemara is only touching al Mazleg over here, the tip of the iceberg. When you go through it, you see there are different opinions to even getting to your definition of it. Your definition of it is a later stage of it. Once we've, we've accepted the one of these two opinions, yeah. Says the Gemara Kashya Derbi Meir Aderbi Meir answers the Gemara Tere Tanae Aliba Derbi Meir. Does Gemara if you were Keeping track of the different opinions we mentioned, we mentioned Rabbi Meir's name twice. Rabbi Meir was mentioned in the second Beraita and Daf Bet Amut Bet, and then he was again mentioned in the third Beraita and Daf Bet Amut Bet. 
The first time he was mentioned, he said that the beginning time of Kiryat Shema is when Bnei Adam nichnasim lechol pitan be'arve Shabbatot. He said it's when from when the regular person goes in to eat their meal on Friday Friday uh, evening. That's a late time, if you recall. That's after you came back and you prayed and all that sort of stuff. The second opinion of Rabbi Meir, that which was mentioned in the third Beraita, he said, and that's what we've been dealing with now, that it's from the time of Tevila of the Kohanim. Now, the time of the Tevila of Kohanim, again, we were uncertain exactly when it is, but we certainly know that it's at an earlier time than Seta Kohavim, we certainly know it's at an earlier juncture than his other statement of when you go in to eat your meal on Friday night, which means to say we have a contradiction, a blatant contradiction from one Beraita to the next with regards to Rabbi Meir's opinion. It could be the same time. It could be you pray in the, in the summer before sunset, you come home and... and it could be. The assumption is it's not so. The assumption is that we're dealing with the standard person who's coming into their home on a Friday night at a later juncture, as the Gemara had been assuming. Answers the Gemara, Tere Tanae, it's two different rabbis from the time period of the Mishnah and Beraita, Aliba, who are following the opinion of Rabbi Meir, of Rabbi Meir, which means to say Rabbi Meir is being reported as to stating A and then being reported alternatively to stating B. There's no contradiction because the two of you walk out of the class. One of you says, Harari said X. The other one of you says, Harari said Y. By extension, each of the rest of you might walk out and might have 12 opinions with regards to what I said. Ultimately speaking, you're contradicting one another, but I don't have a self-contradiction. Baruch Abba. Continues the Gemara over here. All right, so that's with regards to resolving Rabbi Meir. The Gemara furthermore says, we have a contradiction in Rabbi Ezer's opinion as well. Rabbi Ezer, on the one hand, in our Mishnah, gave us one opinion. What was Rabbi Ezer's opinion ostensibly? It seemed in our Mishnah. If you look at the first words in our Mishnah, It's from the time that the Kohanim begin to be permitted to eat their terumah. The Bili Ezer, however, his opinion came up on Daf Beta Mudbet in one of the Beraitot as well. It says over here, It's from the time that Shabbat begins, which is an earlier juncture, whereas our Mishnah told us from the time that the Kohanim are allowed to eat, we call that Seta Kochavim. The Beraita here on Daf Beta Mudbet has a statement of from the time that Shabbat begins, which is what we call Shkiata Hamas. Which one is the real opinion of Rabbi Eliezer? Say the same thing. Two people heard the same. Answers the Gemara initially. Tere three lines from the top. Two different opinions with regards to what Rabili Ezer said. Says the Gemara, but we have another answer. An alternative answer. This is a conversation we had on the first day of learning with regards to those first words in the Mishnah. First words in the Mishnah again on Dafbeta Mudalf read as follows. From when do you begin saying Kiriyat Shema? Answered the Mishnah, Period. Then the Mishnah continued and told you the end time. 
Then the next words, hard to place, divrer biliyazer. Those words, divrer biliyazer. Those three words are they defining both the beginning and the end time until the end of the first Ashmurah, as well as the beginning time. Or alternatively, are they only going on the second half, meaning the final time? We'd been assuming when we asked the question that there's a contradiction in Nabili Ezer that they're going on both. Instead, says the Gemara, perhaps Divre Nabili Ezer is only on the last part, Adsof Hashmurah Harishona which means that we wouldn't know the opinion of Rabbi Yezer with regards to the beginning time of Kiryat and it's very possible that it's from Shkiat Hama, from perhaps the earliest time that people might be going to sleep, that you would call it Bishokh Becha, uh, and in turn Bekumecha. Says the Gemara onward, Ad Sof HaAshmura HaRishona, we're ready to go onward in the Mishnah, and the Mishnah that we've been discussing until now was with regards to the beginning time of Kiryat Shema, but what about the end time of Kiryat Shema? We saw three different opinions in the Mishnah. Rabbi Eliezer's opinion until the f- end of, we defined it then, the first third of the night. The word Ashmura Milashon Shemira, it's the guarding time. We'll have to deal with what sort of guarding is taking place. The Gemara will have Dirashot and Agadot with regards to that in the ensuing lines over here. The second opinion was that of the Hachamim, that you have until Hasot. And then the last words of the Mishnah presented for us the opinion of Rabban Gamliel that you have until Alot uh, Shachar until the morning. Says the Gemara, my Kasavar Rabili When Rabili Ezer says, Ad Sofa what is it that he truly is intending? So as we've discussed, as many of us, it's not all of us are aware, the way we break up the day and night is into 12 um, equal hours. Each one of those hours will not have 60 minutes in it, unless it's one of these, quote, perfect days. It'll rather be from the time of darkness until the time of light. We'll take that time period and divide it, X amount of minutes, by 12, as well as during the day, from light until darkness, as we call Sha'ot Zimaniot. In turn, when I'm dealing with the night, it's going to have 12 hours. When I'm dealing as well in the night with regards to Ashmurot, these junctures during the night, if my opinion, the Gemara will on Davgimalamud Bet have two opinions, Rabbi Natan and Rabbi, about how many of these Ashmurot are in the night. Are there three guarding um, you know, stations during the night, or are there four? Either way you slice it, Rabbi Liazer could have and perhaps should have been more clear with his words. Instead of saying until the end of the first Ashmurah, till the end of that first juncture, just say until the end of four hours, if he's of the opinion that there are three Ashmurot. Alternatively, if he's the opinion there are four Ashmurot, so of course 12 divided by four is three, he would say until three, until hour three. Those are the only two opinions we have in the Gemara. We'll get to it when we get to Daf Gimala The Gemara will define it in a moment or two as the time during which there's Rashi's interpretation of the Gemara. Certainly, there's this crossing over, crossing of the guards with regards to the ministering angels. In turn, the Gemara will parallel it to our world as well. Generally speaking, it's the vision of the Hachamim, anything that's taking place above 
is in some way paralleled over here, there has to be, and we'll try to pinpoint either today or in the next class, you know, the significance of these Ashmurot, but that's how the Gemara will define these Ashmurot. It's at a time period the Gemara will go further when God is, so to speak, they anthropomorphize God and they describe him as being Sho'ig Ka'ariyeh. He's crying out like a, like a lion. We'll have to define this. Leil Shimurim, which is described in Parashat, in Parashat Bo, is an interesting description because it's not fully certain what Leil Shimurim is. We know it's Leil Pesach, night of protection, or is it the night of guardianship? And whose? Because on the one hand, Pasuk describes it as a Leil Shimurim, who Hashem, and then Pasuk says, Libnei Israel. So who's guarding, who's protecting? Um, there is some sort of reference with regards to the night being some sort of time during which I need or I'm somehow tapping into some protection and guardian guardianship. But anyway, says the Gemara over here, um, uh, again, uh, says the Gemara, Maika Savar Abiliyazer, what is Abiliyazer's opinion with regards to these Ashmurot? And in turn, why wasn't he more clear in our Mishnah? Ika Savar, if his opinion is Shalosh Mishmarot Avel Halayla, if his opinion is there are three of these Mishmarot, three of these protection periods called he should have stated in our Mishnah, you have until the fourth hour, again, of Sha'ot Zmaniot during the night. Alternatively, his opinion is, there are four, you're dividing 12 by four, he should have stated clearly, answers the Gemara, we should maintain and suggest that his opinion is, the Gemara over here doesn't tell us why. The Gemara on Daf Gimalamut Bet, as we get, there will tell us why their opinion, why their understanding is that's Rabili Ezra's opinion. Why ask it now? Our issue right now is more on the syntax, is on the way that Rabili Ezra presents his opinion. We didn't actually wonder how many, if there were three or four. We know the answer to that. We're really, it's, it's, we're, it's a lead-in question, too. If that's his opinion, why wasn't he more clear about it? But now we have to deal with that. So why isn't he more clear about that? And as a result of stating, He's teaching us, with his wording, there are mishmarot, there are periods of, call it protection in the heavens, in the rakia, and there are periods of protection in ara. That's what I was talking about, this parallel existence in the eyes of the hachamim, that matters which take place above, take place below, those from below have reverberations of some sort in the above. There's different noshaot to this gemara, because the gemara seems to either be paralleling the above to the below, or alternatively, if you have the other nosach, it's the below to the above. And this might have a, you know, say, it, it's, it, for example, if you look on the side, Hagahot Mahari Landa, he says, Girsat Harosh Kihechi Diika. In other words, whereas our Gemara says there are Mishmarot in the heavens, and there are therefore in the land that we inhabit as well, it might alternatively be we have in the land as a result of the heaven. Either way, it's like. It has to do with the way we envision existence and life vis a vis our relationship with God. Uh, in other words, for example, you know, to, to bring you to the Gemara and Masechet Hagiga, which regards a mahluk between Shammai and Hillel, about what was created first, heavens or earth. Now there's Pesukim, the first Pasuk in Torah says, Bereshit bara Elohim, et Shamaim vet It first lists Shamaim and only then Aretz. Pasuk in Bereshit, Perek Bet, Pasuk Dalit says, Beyom Asot Adonai Elohim, Eres Veshamayim. It first says land and only then says heavens. 
Uh, so which one is it? Mahlokit Bet Shamayim Bet What are you talking about? It's two Pesukim. So each one of them gives a Mashal. In truth, what each of them is speaking to is Shamayim, as his name suggests, as their name suggests, is more heavenly focused. It's a vision of my my involvement in existence as being one, so to speak, top down. I'm envisioning this world through uh, the domain of God. It changes and alters perspective on many matters. Alternatively, it's so to speak what I I'm able to do over here the Hillel vision, which in turn will in some way affect above. So the nafkamina is, is just too far-reaching. We could give halachic ramifications, but it has to do really with a perspective on life. That's what I'm just pointing out. These two noshaot, these two girsaot in the Gemara really represent. So as the Gemara did tanya, in truth we have a beraita which accords to this, the Rebili Ezer opinion. So you don't even need to go to Amut Bet. It's an explicit beraita right over here. Rebili Ezer Omer Shalosh Mishmarot Period. Already, there's the opinion, Victor, that Bilia'ez's opinion is there are three Mishmarot. Now he gets more graphic. And in each one of these junctures, Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying out like a lion. Now, what's he crying out like a lion for and about? Shene'emar, pasuk that's being cited is from Yirmiyahu. If you know anything about Yirmiyahu, you might be able to already guess what the context is. It's about the destruction of the Mikdash, of course. Shene'emar, Adonai, Mimarom, Yishag, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kivyacho, from the heavens is crying out. Umimme'on, Kocho, Yiten, Kolo, Sha'or, Yishag, Al, Navehu, Navehu is a reference to the Mikdash. So the Pasuk in turn is describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as crying out at the three junctures of the night. Who said three junctures? Maybe that's just a reference to the fact that he's crying out. Rashi calls attention to the fact that the Pasuk talks about that Shoresh, Shin Alif Gimal, the crying out how many times? Count it together with me. One, two, three, says Rashi, Hare Gimal. There's three times referenced in the Pasuk. In turn, says Rebili Ezer, of course, not a proof. We're not really bringing a proof about a reality in the heavens, but it's a semich davar. We're able to look at this as a hint and a reference in the Pasuk to the fact that the three Mishmarot in the heavens during which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying over the destruction of the Mikdash. Of course, you might be aware of, you know, midnight vigils and Tikkun uh, Hasot sort of circumstances. Much of that finds its roots and sources in Gemarot such as this. You're envisioning the night as the most appropriate time, so to speak, from the divine perspective for thinking, focusing on the destruction of the Mikdash. The nighttime is even today, but certainly once before electricity, the time for best contemplation and introspection without the distractions of lights and, and movement in the world around you, you're able to focus on matters which are most significant. Visiman la davar, says the Gemara, if you're searching and seeking for in this world, when each one of those mishmarot passes, at the moment during which either starting or ending the Gemara will deal with each one of those Mishmarot, again we're describing this Ashmurot in the heavens, how do you find them in this world? Mishmara Rishona, the first one is Hamor Noer, donkey's bray, or a donkey brays. What does it mean to bray? It's instead of nay. You say by a horse nay, you say by a donkey bray, if I'm not mistaken. Check the translation, I think I got that one right. Shinia because I used to say nay, and someone once corrected me. Shiniyah, kilabim so'akim. The second juncture is when 
dogs are crying out. Right? The Gemaraz, uh, you, you have to just appreciate, at least I do, uh, the sensitivity of the Hachamim with regards to the world, to, world around them. They're describing different junctures dur- during the night by means of phenomena of sounds of animals and of the like. They're appreciating each of those. You need not be overly literal, but you can, in a certain sense, appreciate they're tapping into realities in existence and lending them significance. Shilishit, what's at the third juncture? Tinok yonek mishede imo. A baby at that time period is, generally speaking, drawn to nursing from the, from its mother. And a woman speaks to her husband. And it means it, probably in the literal sense, it's at the time when you're beginning to wake up and the woman's speaking to her husband. Men yada, benish, high questions. What about the woman speaking to the husband? That's at the same time period. If you have a baby, that's when the wife is, is, is nursing. It's at the same time period, whether you have a baby or not, the wife is beginning to talk to her husband. Banish high questions when the husband's not talking to the wife. So my response would be, men are more have a tendency to be more cranky in the morning. They're quiet and their wife is speaking. There. All right. Benish high has alternative explanations. First and foremost, he does quote the Gemara, that women do talk more than men. And the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin certainly uh, has uh, such reference at the end as well. Um, uh, alternatively, says Benish Hai, women, generally speaking, are more involved in Sorche Habayit, involved in the household activities. As a result, they might be speaking about what's taking place with the children and other such matters at the beginning of the day. Uh, so anyway, that's the three junctures. Says the Gemara, go ahead. Is, is he saying that, not he, is the Gemara trying to give like a nice reference to what generally goes on or is this their version of maizmanim.com back then where they don't know the exact time so when should uh, oh well, I think we I didn't hear the, the, the donkey playing so we could still say Shema. So, so it's an interesting question you ask. It would appear at this point that they're just and I'm not going to use the word cute but they're just locating each of these times by means of some sort of siman. They, the strange thing the Gemara will point out ultimately speaking though is that last time period the time of the morning, it sounds like, right? When a woman is talking in the nursing, when I says, why don't you just look out the window? Is it light outside or not? And the Gemara will suggest, what if you're in a dark home and there's no windows and you don't have access to the outside? Says the Gemara, you'll know that you're beginning that time period if the baby begins to be nursing or you overhear people talking, which means, say, the Gemara is in its own way lehavdil, the maizemanim, because it's not a real maizemanim. They're not actually quantifying it to that extent, but they are taking it more seriously than just being, you know, siman ladavar, your word cute. Says the Gemara, what's Rabili Ezer determining? Again, each of these junctures, is it's the beginning time? The end time? What's he referring to when he says each one of these times as the Perhaps what he's talking about, what he's referring to, is the beginning of each one of these thirds of the night. So that would be very nice, but Why do I need a siman? Why do you need to talk about the donkey braying at the first juncture? Just look outside. When it's dark already, now I know that that's the beginning of the first mishmar. Would you not? After all, that's the definition. But 
I thought uh, Ad Sof Hashmurah I mean the, after the, the three or four hour That's period. what Rabbi Eliezer and our Mishnah is talking about Ad Sof Hashmurah This Beraita Rabbi Eliezer is saying you're looking for Mishmara you're looking for the first Hashmurah look for the time when the donkey is praying is that defining again the beginning or the end if you say the end I understand but if you say the, the beginning That's right so that would be fine What's going to be the difficulty if we say that he's referring to the end periods? What about the last Ashmura? Why do you need a reference in the last Ashmura, right? So that's, that's, that's right. So the Gemara says, Urtahu. Why is uh, night referred to as Orta? Well, the beginning of Masechet Pesachim, in fact, has Or at the Or Le Arba'a Asar. At the or of the 14th. Well, when do you do Bidikat Hametz in your home? When do you deal with the beginning of Pesach? It's in the nighttime. Why does the Mishnah refer to it as or? The Gemara explains that the word or is Lashon Saginaho. Instead of referring to it as the time of darkness, which we see as ominous and forbearing difficulty and, and sorrow and danger and so forth, we refer to night as Says the Gemara, Isof Mishmarot Kahashif. Perhaps what he's defining in each one of these markings is the end. So then I understand the first, I understand the second, why it's necessary. Sof Mishmara Aharona Lamali. Why do you need the last one? Lamali Simana. Why do I need a marking that it's when the woman's talking or the nursing's taking? Yemamahu. That's daytime. Open the window and see when it is. Inla rather says the Gemara, there's something interesting and in between with regards to the Bili Ezer taking place. Hashiv Sof Mishmara Rishona. The braying of the donkey is the end of the first mishmar, right? Which you wouldn't have known by just looking outside. Uthilat mishmara aharona, the husband and wife, or the wife and husband, and the nursing of the baby is the beginning of the last juncture. What about the middle one? Emsa'it de emsa'ita. And it's the middle of the middle one, we'll call that absolute midnight. So they're not three... That's the right. Same time period. Right. You're dividing it by three, but then you're not really dividing it by three because it's not equal. Which means to say, ultimately speaking, according to this answer, it's in your words the Q time periods, right? Now I would tell you it's not the Q time periods per se because the rabbis are envisioning this as a significant time period, it's a time period during which God, so to speak, is in some way convening and communicating with the world, some sort of power and energy. So there is something beyond, but in terms of the practical uh, reality, that's right. He's not hitting on a practical reality. Tosafot Arosh quotes from Rabbi Huda Barzilai that the significance in this context is these were the times that sometimes Terumat Adeshin was, uh, t- would take place in the Gemara. Masechet Yoman Davkaf talks about the cleansing of the Mizbech, the Terumat Adeshin, and each of these were junctures during which at some point Terumat Adeshin was performed. Well, that would make a lot of sense in light of what's taking place in the eyes of the rabbis at this time period. What's taking place? God, so to speak, is crying out about the destruction of the Mikdash. It means we're going to mark each of these as a significant time period during the night during which the cleansing of the Mizbeach, the cleaning out of the ashes is taking place. Alternatively, the Gemara gives a different answer. Each one of these three junctures is really defining the end. So the first one we understand. The second one we understand the significance. The last one, I don't understand why you need to give me that. Just tell me when it's morning. Just look outside. Perhaps you then claim the, the last juncture is unnecessary. 
necessary. Lemai nafka mina. There is indeed, says the Gemara, lemai lema for what? Nafka, nafak means to come out, to go out. Mina from it. What comes out, halachically speaking? Answers the Gemara, lemikre keriyat shema lemandgani bebayit afil. To read keriyat shema leman for he whom or for he who, the gani, who's sleeping, the bait afel, in a dark home, and he doesn't know when it's the time to read Kiryat Shema. Once he hears or realizes that women are speaking with their husbands, the baby is nursing from the mother, matters are beginning to rustle and awaken, lekum he should wake up, velikre, and read and say Kiryat Shema. That's the final line with regards to these two answers in the Gemara. You might have a brief question on this. If you're describing the Sofa Ashmurah Harona as the time period during which the woman's speaking to her husband, you're really defining the beginning of the day as Alot Shahar. The interesting thing is, as Tosa Fort points out, on Daftet, the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer is that the beginning of Kiryat Shema is not from Alot Shahar. It's from the time that you could discern the difference between two colors, Techelet and Karti. So in which case, says Tosafot, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a good nafkamina because it'd be the Ezra's opinion himself is that Kiryat Shema is at a later juncture. So you're not actually reading Kiryat Shema or shouldn't be reading it at that time. The, and the daytime one. That's right. The daytime we one. The last night, juncture. We went from the nighttime Kiryat Shema now to the daytime. Because we're talking about each one of those junctures and the third one is significant. Its end, as perhaps the Gemara suggests, the beginning of the Kiryat Shema Shel Shachrit. Says Tosafot, again, this is Tosafot, the third one on the page, Lemandigani, for he who is sleeping doesn't necessitate on until the time that and we begin in the morning it's only when you're able to discern between these two colors which we'll discuss when we get there that's when you begin not from the time beforehand which we would refer to as alot this is the time period, says the Gemara again, lekum, that you're beginning to arise. By the time you rose up, by the time you brushed your teeth, and you did not like a dime, and you got yourself dressed, or whatever you're doing in the morning, at that juncture, velikre you're ready to read kiriachimah. In other words, says Tosafot, Slow down on your diukim in the Gemara. When the Gemara has this reference too, that's the time for Kiryat Shema. It means that's the time you ready yourself and you get into the mode of Kiryat Shema of the morning. Says the Gemara, Amor Amara Vitzhak Bar Shemuel Mishemeh Derav, a statement of Emoraim, Rav Yitzhak Bar Shemuel, in the name of Rav. Shalosh Mishmarot Havehalaila. We saw this in the name of Rabili Ezer, Tana. Now we're going to have an Emora Rav who's referring to this and maybe elaborating a little bit further on these three junctures of the night. So far identical to what we had in the words of Rabili Ezer at each one of those junctures. Again, uh, maybe a juncture during which the ministering angels are shifting or crossing uh, of the guards, but it's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol is, is crying out, Ve'omer, and now we got words, quote-unquote, that are being referred to, Oi Labanim, 
שבעוונותיהם החרבתי את ביתי, שרפתי את היכלי, והחליטים לבין אומות העולם. העולם. If I recall correctly, the last time I learned Masechet Berachot, it was with an Oz Vehadar Gemara, a different version than this one, and there was a note on these words over here. And so, uh, the note on these words was that this is a censored version of the Gemara, because this Gemara says that he said, Oy Labanim, woe is to the children, meaning he's referring to the sorrow of Am Yisrael. That word, Labanim, is put in by the censor. Why would it be put in by the censor? The question is, who is God, so to speak, bemoaning their reality? Is it Am Yisrael, that because of their sins I destroyed the, the Mikdash? Or alternatively, is it woe to the nations who destroyed the Mikdash? Now, of course, we don't want to be uh, have a text in front of the nations who are looking to persecute us, in which on the second or third page of the first tractate of Talmud, we have some sort of explicit reference to they did the wrong thing. They're still going to have to pay for their wrongdoing. As a result, we pinpoint it, we turn it to ourselves. What do you want me to tell you? That's an old girsa in the Gemara, which seems to have so been removed because of a censor. There is plenty of censorship throughout Talmud. It was for that reason as well. I said it's on the third page of the first tractate that we're most sensitive to it. And I will tell you that even with the censorship that we set in motion, there were plenty of burnings of Talmud over the course of history because of veiled or even explicit lines that were and are critical of the nations. Again, what's the statement? As we have it in front of us, woe is to my children, because of their sin, their iniquities and wrongdoings. I destroyed my bayit, my home. There's something interesting this morning. Morning, we were learning Masechet Sanhedrin. Masechet Sanhedrin on Dasadivav has an identical wording. The wording is, I destroyed, over there it's descri- describing the destruction. Nevuzaradan, that's the general of Nebuchadnezzar who destroys the first Bet HaMikdash from Bavel. He's Maharivet Habayit, and over there it says Kali, that's the Lashon in Aramaic for Serefa, the Hechal, the Gemara in Masechet Gitin, when it talks about Zechariah ben Avkulas, has the identical wording as well. The interesting thing is, the vision or the description of the rabbis of the destruction of the Mikdash was one in which they moved in by knocking down, by destroying the surrounding areas, but then when they got into the inner chamber, the sanctuary, the hechal, that they lit on fire. It's for that reason as well. Maybe the rabbis are talking even based on their knowledge of what remains. There are remainders of uh, destructed uh, outer uh, areas of the Mikdash. That's hecherafti et beti. I destroyed it, but I didn't burn it. The burnt area was the inner chamber, was the sanctuary, the hechal. Vihiglitim leben umot haolam. And lastly, in this she'aga of the Ari of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he cries out like a lion, he says, number one, woe to my children because of their sin. I destroyed the Mikdash, I burnt the Hechal, and I led them into exile. And they are in Galut as a result of that sinning, which means to say, at each nighttime we have opportunity to think about our connectedness or loss thereof with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a time during which we can introspect and be able to appropriately understand a connection which perhaps has been severed and an attempt to rebuild it. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.